because everything's great when it's working. Acting is the easiest, most fun job in the world. And I guess directing is too, when it's going well. When it's not going well, it's that's where, where the rubber hits the road. It's like, how are you going to solve this problem? That's what movie making is. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Viggo Mortensen's new drama, Falling. Mr. Mortensen also stars in the film as John, a gay man who lives with his partner and their adopted daughter in Southern California. When he is visited by his aging conservative father, who is searching for a place to retire, their two very different worlds collide. Falling is Mr. Mortensen's directorial debut. Mr. Mortensen spoke with director Matt Ross about filming Falling in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Uh, so we're here to discuss your film Falling. Um, you and I, obviously, we know each other. We've known each other for some years since uh, Captain Fantastic. Um, I don't know what to assume in terms of people having seen the film or not seen the film. So I think, I think the best thing to do is just sort of have a... Uh, not spoiler free. If you haven't seen the film, we may spoil things for you. Let's discuss the film and assume that someone's seen it and not worry about whether they, you know, we're giving anything away. For anyone who hasn't seen the film, I'll just briefly say, however, that Falling is the story of um, John, who you play, um, who takes his father, Willis, from his isolated farm in, I think, upstate New York to California um, as his father's in the early stages of dementia. Um, and the intention is to relocate him so that he could be closer to you and your sister to take care of him in this stage of his life. That's sort of the general, the most general. Sort of. um, and, you know, I, I've seen the film twice now. I saw it earlier at a screening, I think pre-COVID maybe. Um, and then I saw it again recently. And it's um, a really heartbreaking story about sons and fathers, about dealing with dementia, although it's not only that. Um, for me, it was also sort of about how violence is passed down through generations or not. That seemed to be something. And then ultimately, I, I found it to be a film about forgiveness and about really the strength required um, to forgive. Um, there's many beautiful performances, painful moments. It's unexpectedly very funny as well. Um, and I, I, you know, this is a DGA talk. So I also write, and, and though I'd love to do a deep dive on the writing process, instead, I, I really want to more focus on directorial choices and decisions. Um, but I do want to start with the script. And, and just generally, I, I think what I'd like to touch on with you is um, I'd like to talk about the script. I'd like to talk about pre-production, your casting process, rehearsals, production design, costume design, uh, the shoot, you know, um, acting and photography, and then edit. Uh, and then finally the post-production, the editing and the music, because you not only directed it and wrote it, you are also in it. You're uh, one of the producers and you did the music. So I'd like to, I'd like to touch on those many things. Um, I hope you also did, um, you made everyone yerba mates, as is your want, and um, also did the cooking, but we could talk about that. So um, let's start with the script. Um, as you did write this, let's start there. Um, I, I, we'll go through this quickly because I, I do want to talk about other directorial issues, but what, what was the genesis of the idea? Why, why this story? I, I know some of this, it's in your production notes and obviously knowing you a little bit, but I think um, as it is your first feature film as a director, what was it about this story that you felt compelled to tell? Um, well, the reason this one is the first one at a pretty late stage in life to, to, mm -hmm. To, to to throw my hat in the ring, I guess, as a director, um, not for lack of trying before. The, the main reason it was this one that was the first one was, this is the first of the scripts I've written over the years that I found enough money, yeah. enough financing to make. Um, I've been trying that's to do- That's the true answer always, like, yeah. yeah it's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've been trying to do it for 25 years and had, some near misses, but never quite close enough. And even with falling, it took several attempts, which is normal for independent filmmaking. I think with Captain Fantastic, you had to oh, yeah. work for several years before you got it. And maybe that happened with your first 
Yeah, I've, well. I had the same thing. I've been writing for a while, and there was a couple times where something almost happened and fell apart, and didn't. Yeah, right. absolutely. So you don't know, and uh, but things came together for this one. The reason I, I was actually trying to make another movie from another script I'd written at the time that I started writing it, I hadn't had in mind, as you usually or I usually have, where you have an idea for a story or something happens, or you read something, or you know, something happens in your life or some, you see something uh, gives you an idea and you start writing it and <clears throat> you do it in different ways. You might know where you want it to end. And so you work your way toward that, structure it that way, or you're adapting something. I've adap I, I, the one I had adapted of, of the screenplays I've written over the years, that's the only one that's not an original screenplay, the one I was trying to make. And um, at that time, this was 2015, my mom died. She had had dementia for several years. And um, it was after her funeral. I was flying, uh, it was like eight hour flight. I was, I was flying overnight uh, after the funeral. And I was just thinking about her a lot, naturally, you know, someone I loved and love. And, uh, and I didn't want to forget things that I'd heard at the funeral and things I'd been thinking about in the days leading up to it. You know, when someone dies that you're very close to, you see their face, you see their face at different times, images of them, things they said, things people said about them, things I'd heard the day before the funeral, stories that I was familiar with, but different versions of them. And I was thinking about how strange, you know, how subjective memory really is more a collection of feelings than facts really and all that sort of stuff. And I guess I just wanted to write everything down that I'd heard and was thinking about right now, because I knew that as time went by, as happens with all good and bad things, certainly all wounds, uh, the, 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 the sense of pain fades a little. That's what our body does for us. That's what our mind does for us. And I didn't want it to fade. I wanted to keep that wound open, I suppose, that flame lit. And so I just started writing down in a notebook because I couldn't sleep and I was, my mind was going. So I was writing these things down. And then I looked at everything I'd written, still wasn't feeling like going to sleep. And I thought, that's interesting, you know, because they were all out of order, time, place, points of view. I thought that's a good, that could be a good short story or novella or something. So I started writing that, you know. And by the time I landed, I had written basically the outline of the whole story. Uh, I had a story and I put it away when I got home and I went back to work trying to raise the money for this other project I was involved in or trying to get made. And, uh, and then one, a few days later, I thought I should read that thing I wrote on the plane <clears throat> hurriedly, you know, and uh, it might, it's probably, I didn't expect it to be that good. You know, I thought it would be like something you wake up in the middle of the night and you write on a notepad, you have an idea you write it down or a poem or a line, something. And you wake up the next day thinking, oh, that was really, I think that was really good. And you look at it and generally, at least in my case. Yeah, it's terrible. It, it's not that original. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, okay. Well, if I'd been awake, I would have realized that was not even worth pursuing. But in this case, the structure was, I liked it. And it was basically the structure that ended up mm. being what you, what you saw, the mm. movie falling. And I just kept visualizing so much of it that I thought, well, maybe it's a screenplay rather than a book. And so in my sort of spare time evenings, even though I was working on something else, I started writing it as an exercise. In this case, I was basically adapting something from my notebook. So I already knew where I wanted to go. And um, I just kept filling in conversations, dialogue, started writing in all the dialogue. And um, that came naturally. And what happened as when I was writing the story was that it, it was a fiction, you know, using feelings, using some events from, from personal life. And I guess what I was trying to get at was the difficulty of communication. You know, I'm not someone who, I don't think you are either, but I, I don't like movies that are about giving you answers. I like questions. I like just... Mm -hmm. Here's a situation. What does this provoke? You know, um, I'm not going to underline everything. I'm going to assume the audience is intelligent. And 
if they are interested enough, 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, they'll join me and they'll start telling the story with me. And by the end of the movie, if they watch the whole thing, it'll become their story as much as mine. Your, your film does that very artfully. In fact, I was going to say that, you know, it, the structure of it is very, is invisible. We've come, we've come used, we've become used to a certain kind of, you know, Western screenplay structure. And I think it's there, but it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's buried in a way that I, I think I, I see a lot in European films where you're not really sure what's going to happen next and it doesn't fall. And I, it's very evocative and um, it's very smart. And I wonder um, with regard to, and again, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but there's sort of two dueling time periods or storylines, right? There's the, the, the past marital history of um, the father character of Willis and his wife and his children, one of whom becomes the, become, we, we come to realize is John later in life. The, and, the, and then there's sort of the, um, the modern day story of Willis visiting this son um, and this family in California. And how much of that structure was baked into the screenplay? And this is jumping ahead to the editorial process, but did it yeah. change? Did, is, that, is that something that changed, evolved, or was that? Not, not a lot. One of the reasons I think is just because I had so much time to work on it mm. and fine tune the script, mm. including working with Lance Henriksen, who I went to, you know, very early uh, once I had the first draft. And, uh, and so working with him and just thinking about, I mean, I, it was frustrating to wait as it always is, but as it had been for 25 years, frankly, but looking back, I probably, uh, to direct, I mean, it, I probably, what I learned from you and other directors in how to prepare a shoot, how to communicate with actors and crew members, how to get the most out of the time you have to tell the story you want to tell, those things probably, that experience, learning from others, probably helped me so that waiting until I was 60 years old, I avoided maybe a lot of beginner's mistakes. Sure that I would have made, you know, if I'd been given permission 20 years ago or something. I want, I want to unpack that more as we go along, because yeah. I think that's, that's something that was relevant for me too, having acted and observed many directors over time. And just like, you know, in any vocation, you know, every person is your teacher. They either teach you how to behave or how not to behave. And we all learn and we sort of steal from everyone. And, um, but talking about Lance, you know, this idea, you're in the film and I'm curious about if that was intentional or if you had originally wanted someone else, you know, th this idea of like, uh, you know, what's the quote uh, directing is 90% or 80% or 90, whatever the percentage is yeah. casting. Right. And yeah. um, I, I did some research about that. And it was, it's been accredited to, to so accredited to so many people. Apparently Altman did make a quote about that at one point um, at various times. I, I think I found it's been, you know, John Ford and, right. Kazan and all these people, but, but it's, you know, what, um, it, it's, I think as a young actor that, um, I, I always sort of bristled at that idea, you know, that, that like, that somehow that that's the solution. Um, it's not, that it's not, um, the actor, um, the, the director's work is only picking the actor that somehow there's, that, that that's all there is. It seems so reductive, but, but I think that obviously, you know, and it's funny looking at, different films throughout history, you, you, you could, when you hear about so-and-so audition for that part, what the film would have been, because it, it would have obviously morphed and bit something else. But, you know, the Lance, that's such a difficult role. His work is so, so deep and rich and varied. He has so many gears and um, I'm curious. So you knew him, you worked with him? Is that how I, you- Yeah, I worked, uh, I met him um, well, just to, uh, your previous question. So uh, the structure didn't change that much, but we'll get into that later with the okay. editing okay. Uh, from the beginning to the, what it ended up being. Mm -hmm. um, there were some adjustments, but Lance, I had met, I mean, I knew his work. I'd watched many movies he'd done, sure. many strange movies, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and also the ones by more well-known directors, respected directors, Sidney Lumet, uh, right. James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, right. et cetera. Um, Catherine Bigelow, uh, but lots and lots of movies that are, you know, horror genre, sci-fi genre, some 
I would say unclassifiable in terms of genre. And, uh, and I'd always found him riveting. You know, there was something about him. It wasn't, it's not enough to just say, because he wouldn't have been able to do that consistently in all these uh, strange situations. It's not just that he had and has this strong presence, voice, this, you know, imposing face. Um, it's, it's his skill and, and above all his commitment as an artist, always, you know, no matter how weird the stories, how, how small his, you know, brief his appearance in any of these when, movies. When you were writing it, did you imagine him? Did you have him in mind? I didn't, I didn't have anybody in mind when I was writing at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, so I knew his work and I, I always thought he was, you know, he was an unusual, very unique presence and a fully committed actor, no matter what he was doing. I never saw him on stage, but I know he did a lot of, uh, he did work on Broadway and, um, you know, regional theater. I mean, he's, I think he did his first play 60 years ago and his first movie 50 years ago. But I met him in the fall of 2007 at Harris's second um, oh, yeah. movie as a director, Appaloosa. Yeah. And Lance had a part in that. And I got to know him then. You know, you see someone on screen playing all these characters. You don't know what they're like. Um, and when I met him, I found him, he was charming. He was friendly. He was a very good storyteller, good sense of humor, and very hardworking. He, he, he got the most out of his character, as, as I'd always seen him do on screen. And um, I really enjoyed him. It was one of those people I remember saying to him, as you do when you meet someone you, you have a connection with and you like their work, you go, well, I hope we get to do something. Right. Uh, I hope we meet again and, you know, on some set or something. And, uh, but I hadn't written Falling at that time. And I, you know, there was no prospects, even though I wanted to at that time already. Um, that I was going to be directing anytime soon, anything. Anyway, so so when I had written it, I looked at it, I thought, okay, I can try to get X, Y, or Z actors in their mid to 70s to 80, um, well-known actors, you know, that would help me get the money if they like, if they want to take a chance on this character, which is a very complex and mostly unlikable character mm. um but and then i thought what about lance henriksen and the the minute the moment that thought came it was like yes then you don't know if they want to do it you know you have you get dead set on a certain actor mm. and they may not be available they may not want to do it or they may just look at it and go this is just too hard i don't want to i don't know if i want to put myself through it sure whatever and uh, so i sent it to him and I said, I know this isn't something you've done. I don't think you have. And, you know, uh, but see what you think. And he liked it a lot. And he was very honest, as he always has been. He said, but it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. I said, because it's a lot of words and it's difficult. A lot of, you know, you got to change gears and you, the dementia aspect. There's so many things to it. If you're going to play it no holes barred, it's a, it's a tough challenge. I know that. But I, I think you'd be do something special he goes well it's not just it, there's a lot of reasons why it's going to be difficult for me which i didn't realize at the time until i got to know him better um further down the road but he liked it a lot and we started working and did he at that point bring you a lot of did he have a lot of feedback or notes that changed the script in any way is there not not immediately um but we talked and we started working a little bit and then you know um he had, well, I mean, he had some really uh, good reactions, you know, thoughtful comments about it. And did he send you an email that when you printed it out, when you printed it out, it was 32 pages? He didn't do that yet. But Which, that by was, the way, it was helpful. It was very yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that was to come. But it, he did it in a different way, not by email. He did it mm -hmm. in person. It was great. And he did it in a more indirect way through stories about his own life, hmm. um, out of which came a few phrases that I said, I, can I use that? You know, hmm. um, what happened? We raised, I raised all the money and 
a year later and we i started working on locations i had my production designer i had marcel ziskin the cinematographer who shot it production designer designer carol spear mm-hmm. um and i was making progress and we were you know in pre pre-production i would say mm-hmm. and then as happens sometimes that financier decided to do something else with his money and i was uh, left to apologize to everybody and say, I'm sorry, I sort of booked you for the fall and you're not available. And I went to try <laughs> with another screenplay for a while. And then I tried with this one and I was sort of making some headway. Um, the third, the final attempt, I, I called Lance. I was sort of staying in touch with him throughout, but I stopped pestering him and wanting to work together on it. And he was busy doing other movies. He works a lot likes to work a lot. And, um, and one day I just decided, okay, we, I'm just going to do this. And so I called him and I said, Lance, we finally are going to make the movie next winter. This was in the spring. And uh, he said, really? And I said, yeah, are you still available? Are you still game if we shot, you know, next January? It ended up being March, but, you know, and he said, he, he had a, there was a long pause. And he said, yeah, finally. And I said, well, that didn't sound too enthusiastic. I really don't want you to do something unless you're, you know, it's too hard a part. And I respect you. And I, 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 I wouldn't want anyone participating if they really are not hmm. convinced that they want to do it. And it's fine if you've changed your mind, really. It's not a problem. He said, no, 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 no. I said, I, said, I mean, I, you know, we talked about this before. I know it's a hard part. And he goes, yeah, yeah, but it's not the part. It's where I'm going to have to go. Because I don't like ever to be caught acting. I got to live it. I got to, I want to, I'm going to have to go to some places that are difficult that have to do with my childhood. And then I started to get to know him. He started telling me these stories. Mm. And those conversations that we had, long conversations, reading through scenes, like we would read a scene together and then he would say, you know, that reminds me of, and then there would be a half hour long story, Mm. harrowing usually, sometimes funny, but in a really disturbing way about you know when he's really small boy and um did any of that end up in the movie well what happened there was there was for example there was a phrase that as soon as i heard him say it i was like i have to have that early in the movie because that is going to set a marker for the type of story we're telling Mm. and and the kind of man we're going to get to know in willis Mm. And I said to him, I'd like to use that phrase. You won't be saying it. It'll be the younger version of you played by Sverrir Gunnarsson, mm-hmm. the Icelandic actor, really fine in the movie yeah. too. And I mean, difficult shoes to fill. Yeah. Lance, younger, and Lance playing that, Willis, younger. Um, and, and so I said, I, I'm going to give him that line. And it's, he was telling me about, we were talking about our children and he said to me, yeah, I mean, it's such a beautiful thing when they're first born and they're just, it's this flower and you just, you can't, it's just beyond description how wonderful it is, how it's just time stops, you know? And I, I was so moved. I was so, this thing, I was holding, this being, I was holding in my hands, this little girl, so precious, you know, standing here in the hospital holding this baby. She's looking at me. And I, I, I loved her so much that I said, I'm sorry I brought you into the world mm. so you could die. And I went, you said that to your baby? That's, that happens in the first couple minutes of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's very early. Yeah. You know, I mean, the very first line of the movie is, Gwen, we're home, which yeah, I like. Yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like she's coming out of a dream and then we're going to go into another kind of dream or whatever. But, uh, but no, he won, he's, the baby's on the changing table right at shortly after that. That's the first significant line that you, you know, remember and it's kind of I said well you're giving me the context so I understand why you said it from a loving place but it's a very hard line to say but I said I love it because it for the character it would establish his existential um, point of view you know I guess uh, his relationship to nature life death you know do these and, conversations you had with Lance influence your desire to play the part? Or was that a purely logistical financial issue? 
at that point, I wasn't going to. It wasn't my intention. I thought I'll have enough to do. You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. And I, since I was the originating producer and I didn't have an ally, which I wish I had. Um, uh, I mean, I wish I'd had someone early on as a creative producer ally right from the beginning. You know, maybe next time I will. But uh, what were you saying? I, f- I forgot because I was looking. Well, I was just asking. If that, let, let, let's talk about you know. I, I was talking about your decision to play the part, and I guess a oh, logical right, right. question is certainly. Yeah, no, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to just because I you know too much to do. Well, let's, let's let's talk I about just, that. I let's just talk thought, about. Yeah, I eventually. I mean, once it failed the first time round, and I was like, okay, I've been doing this for years with different stories, and it's always the same thing. So, if I play the part maybe I can attract that extra bit sure. of money that we need, yeah. you know, and uh, to, 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 to start shooting at least. And, uh, you know, when I said to him though, I mean, I wasn't being quite honest. Uh, was, I think the only time I've not told Lance the truth uh, or the full story, which is when I said to him, we're going to start next winter. I didn't have any more money than I'd had hmm. the day before. I just decided I'm going to start, you know, right. in the, in the sense of, well, I'm going to start, because I know if I'm going to shoot that next winter, I need this footage <clears throat> for the memories, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of both men and some of the more, you know, shared memories and some sort of objective, more or less memories. Not that there is such a thing, but I wanted to shoot in spring, summer, fall. And so I called up Marcel, the cinematographer, and Carol Spear. I said, let's go. We've got a locations guy and let's, let's find this farm. Uh, and we, we need to find one place because I, I don't think we're going to have the kind of budget where we can shoot the outside of one farm, the inside of another, another barn somewhere in winter and all that. So let's go to work and let's bring the camera we're going to use and the lenses and let's, let's start shooting this material. Some of which I know exactly what I wanted and some which I said we're going to find things and we're going to have time and freedom to do it and we'll get to know each other, you know, uh, uh, in terms of photography and you know, production values that we want and so forth. And so it was a gamble to just do it, but I knew I needed to do it. And I figured, well, if we act like we're making a movie, then maybe it'll be contagious. And somebody will say, oh, it looks like they're making a movie. Maybe we'll join them, you know? <laughs> that was sort of the goal. So I didn't, I wasn't quite, I wasn't forthright entirely with Lance. I didn't have the money yet, but I, I figured we would. I hoped we would. Mm. And uh, it did work out finally. But although we did start shooting and I knew that we only had two weeks worth of money, and it was only two weeks in that we got the, the other three weeks worth of money. Was so. the cast assembled at this point or was this just you and the DP finding sort of some of the, the footage of, because uh, there is a lot of footage of the environment up there. Was that, was that when you shot that? Yeah, I had Lance and I had approached Sperrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had those two. And um, I mean, I had Willis, the, you know, the composite of Willis with those two actors and they got together. We got together. This was another thing we did before I had the money. And I don't think I told Sverrier either that we didn't have the money yet. I don't remember, but uh, I don't think so. But he was game. So we got together. We went out to visit Lance and that was very instructive, just seeing them work together. And I would read other parts. They Lance read scenes that he wasn't going to play the younger version of Willis, just so Sverrier could hear that. Mm-hmm. and vice versa, you know, and, and Sverrier played, you know, they did everything. They did all the Willis scenes, both of them. So that and, was a kind of rehearsal process that you had. Yeah, it was kind of extensive and, and it was interesting, punctuated by stories told mostly by Lance, which were great. Um, and it was a great introduction for, for Sverrier just to see Lance's body language and mm-hmm. tone of voice and his rhythms. And I could already, without having to do anything. I mean, I could kind of see a fusion starting to happen where they were just approximating each other in some way. And the onus was going to be on Sperrier, obviously, but they were both doing it to some degree and sharing thoughts and um, physicality and all that. And that was great. And then, um, yeah, so we kept going. And then once we got into the fall, then I was like, I found some money. So I said, okay, let's go. And then the next role I wanted to cast, which was really important to me, was was Gwen, the mm-hmm. mother. Sure. And since the movie was inspired by Mama, that's the one character as far as anything autobiographical. In spirit, in her behavior, 
and the way she communicates with her children, she is that character a lot like my mother. And Hannah Gross did an amazing job of that and asked me lots of questions and, mm-hmm. you know, and she wanted to see photographs. And I gave her, you know, I mean, we ended up putting, there's lots of photographs of my, my brothers, me, when we were kids, even though in the story it's a brother and sister, but family photographs and my mother, different ages, my father. And she's brought in and the other actors brought in. It was an amazing thing. There was the whole trailer, makeup trailer, you know, people hung out a lot and there was a nice coffee machine. So people went in there, it was cold. Um, it was a place to start the day. And it's like, for reference, this was an extended family that we all kind of shared now. And so that Hannah started, she doesn't really look like my mother, but I, I, I believed she was my mother, which is great. You know, I mean, there was something about her. She I love the participation of the actors in that regard. You know, you, 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 it's something I learned from you. When you showed up for Captain Fantastic, you showed up in the truck full of personal props and costumes, all of which we tried to integrate into the film. And I loved it. It gave, it gave so much depth and specificity and that, that you know, that is, is there to be seen. And, um, you know, right. I, I, I wanna change the subject because we don't have a lot of time. And I wanna ask about yeah. your, your experience as both an actor and a director. And, you know, I've done that once or twice and it's really hard. And I was just curious, like, did, did it free you in terms of an actor? Did you find it constrictive? Did, were you, you know, cause in some ways I think you're so concentrated on so many other things yeah. with the cameras doing, setting up the shots, working with the DP that in almost like your own performance becomes the last thing you think about. And, and, and in some ways that can be very freeing or it can feel I, like a burden. And right. I'm just curious what your experience well, was. To some degree, that's true. It was freeing. I, I will say that, you know, I was worried about it. I decided to go ahead and do it for a couple of reasons. One, because I thought it would help. Two, because as a producer, I could decide and did decide that that actor didn't need to get paid right. and that we could use that money for the movie. Um, and, uh, and also I, it would, I could continue the work, the extensive work I've been doing with Lance since my mm-hmm. character is mostly yes. working yeah. with him. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't just be trying to create an, atmosphere in which he could do good work and be relaxed and try to help him in any way I could as a director, I would be in the mix. I would be in the thick of it as an actor trying to solve problems and get past obstacles as an equal, as an actor, as an acting partner to him. Some scenes in some ways you could long. direct him within by how you, perhaps, by how you modulated the moments. Yeah, to some degree that was true. But the thing that I was worried about, you know, didn't end up being a problem, uh, you know, and that's not being able to pay attention to everything else, you know, directing wise, because we prepared really well with that crew, knowing that we had such short time. And because I'd learned that from other directors, you can't prepare too much or too early for for a shoot, because everything you do until then, until that boat leaves the harbor is invaluable. Because once it leaves, you're going to diner. There's some quote, something like there's some wonderful quote about like you know preparation will never stand in the way of um, of spontaneity or of of you know uh, you know uh, it will ne- it will never impede your creative process. Right? Yeah, that's true, and and so we knew what we were going to try every day. Although, as I said the first day of the shoot, I said a good idea can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Said that to the crew and the cast, which I've learned from directors also. Mm-hmm. Um, so please bring it on. Don't tell me tomorrow that this great idea you have for a scene we're shooting today, because it'll be too late. Just speak up. I'm never going to take it as an affront, a threat to my authority. I mean, much, I mean, I learned that working with you too. You, the way you invited collaboration was not only an inspiration and made people feel involved and, and, and care about the story, but it was also practical. It made sense. It helped you do get the most out of your story. Directing that, is, a, is a team sport. You can't do it yourself. And you actually know when you need those people. They make the film. Everyone's voice adds to your story. Yes, story you yeah. absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, what happened was that we knew how we were gonna attack each day and open to things you know, changing, but we had the shots that we wanted to accomplish. I knew what the sets mm-hmm. looked like, all of them. Mm-hmm. I'd been part of all, all, all the preparation process with all the departments. And so it wasn't 
there wasn't such a big deal. And the, the surprising thing, and just from the acting standpoint, is that it actually was easier than normal and that I, I second-guessed myself hardly at all compared to what I usually do. Mm-hmm. In other words, and I think the reason is because as I'm acting with Lance and I'm looking at him, as a director, I'm listening very carefully to his tone, to everything, watching every gesture and looking at everything around him mm-hmm. within the frame at all times. I'm just hyper aware of everything. And really, that's what you should be doing as an actor anyway, all the time. Yeah. The more you're fully focused on everything about the space you're in, and most especially the person or persons you're speaking to, the more relaxed you're going to be and the less self-conscious, and the more your reactions are going to be in keeping with what's really happening. You're going to go moment to moment. And so in a funny way, it was easier than I thought it would be, you know, the acting side of it. Uh, did, did you rely on Marcel as um, to reflect on your performance or was there anyone that you turned to? Did you rely on Lance at all? The, uh, did you have anyone to, to rely on that or, um, or to reflect on that, I mean, or was that? Um... I, I didn't. I thought about Ed Harris, actually, because he and Pollock had done this and he did it in Appaloosa. He had a, there was someone there. Hmm. Uh, a friend of his was a sort of just to sort of have a conversation about his teacher. Yeah, she was there, kind of guiding him and, and talking yeah. to him after each take as as needed. Yeah. I thought about it, but I didn't end up doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, it was Lance or anybody else I was acting right. with that right. was my guide. Right. right. Because as far as what the shot were and what the lens was, I knew what that was, so I knew what the frame was. But but it was what I was getting from the actors that was telling me a if I was you know, finding what they were doing compelling and how it affected me was how it affected me. That's, mm-hmm. that was my gauge. Yes, I could look at a playback sometime, but I didn't abuse that because we didn't have time to constantly stop and do that. Um, did so, you and no, Marcel I didn't, all talk about... No, go ahead. I was going to ask, did you and Marcel, the, the cinematographer, talk about how you wanted to render um, point of view and memory and the kind of how unreliable memory is. And because it switches sometimes between, I feel like the point of view of John and sometimes we're with John and other times like at the scene of the beach, you know, we are completely with Willis. And, and did you guys, was that something you sort of found on the day or was that something that you plotted out? Cause it's a, it seems to be a very important um, visual. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, it's something that, 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 that runs throughout the film. And is takes a degree of, I would assume, planning and thought. It was planned and it was mostly scripted. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, um, early on, the way that I introduced the family and the dynamic, the mother, you know, the husband wife dynamic, the father son dynamic and the mother's son dynamic is through the story of the duck. What happens mm-hmm. to that duck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from start to finish. Most of it's in the first third of the movie. And then there's that one last bit which is eating the duck which is at the end and by then you really know who Willis is so it colors how you look at that mm-hmm. his behavior which seems more or less innocuous if you'd seen it early but at the end you see the signs of what's to come mm-hmm. uh, looking back you know and um that's that sequence um or that that series of scenes having to do with the duck not only introduces the family and to some degree, you know, in their relationship to nature, maybe even to life and death and all that, all those things, like that first line that we were talking about earlier, that Willis utters to the baby. It's, it's, it lays down a marker. Okay, this is the family. This is the kind of situation you're getting into. Um, it, it also is a way of, um, of, of, of introducing the way memory is going to be used. In other words, when it first starts, you're on an airplane, there's an old man, Mm. And he hears some ducks and he looks up and then he's fully there. He remembers that. So it's until the boy wakes up the next day and finds the duck is gone from the bed. It's all clearly Willis's memory. But once the boy wakes up, it's the book, John's memory. Mm. And then I deal with that in different ways in terms mm-hmm. of sound, right, even right. the score, mm-hmm. even the, the, the choice of the camera. Like when the boy goes down into the kitchen, there's music and, and there's this relationship with the mother. And there's a negotiation about the duck. Okay, I can pluck it. As soon as the father walks in, the music's gone. 
Music that like, you wrote. Uh, um, yeah. What was the decision to be the composer, because as well as was it a similar one? Uh, that was a function of it was a function of the time that I had to wait. Also, mm -hmm. I mean, it was uh, no, it wasn't financing, although it was a lot cheaper because I didn't have to pay the composer. Sure, that's true. And because I knew, I mean, it was a function of so much time, you mm. know, having to wait before. So that was one of the many things I thought about, not only where and with who I wanted to shoot and how and working on the script and working on the script and just, cause I wanted to, as much as possible, try to avoid having a lot of scenes that I would cut out in the editing. You know? Yes, of course, yes. And so I was just working really hard to make it lean, lean. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew some scenes were really long, unusually long for movies these days, hmm. almost like theater pieces, but, but they needed to be there. Uh, and, but still I tried to finesse those as much as I could. And I was thinking about the music and I was picturing what it would be. I was imagining, you know, and I had, I knew I wanted it to be piano based and I knew I wanted it to be discreet. I mean, there's, there's more music in the movie than, than one realizes. Um, but I, it's still pretty pretty lean in some ways compared to some other scores. And but I knew kind of what I wanted, and I and I was thinking about it a lot. It was just because I had that time on my hands. And while by the time we started shooting, I already had a couple things, a couple themes. And mm -hmm. as we were shooting, I thought of a few others, and the rest I did while we were editing, mm -hmm. so that when it came time when we'd finished editing, and uh, you know had mixed the sound, and then I had to uh, do the score. It wasn't like weeks and recording and an orchestra. It was me, Buckethead, two days, boom. We recorded everything, mixed, well, mastered. It, it's funny. I, I didn't notice it so much the first time because it kind of becomes invisible and, and, and works on an emotional level. And then knowing that you had, after I saw it the second time, when I watched it, knowing that you had done the music, I was a little more aware of it. And, and it still has a kind of, if there's an undercurrent there. And the piano is not, is not a... Um, it's just subtle. It's a subtle kind of tone that adds. Um, we're running out of time, so I want to do a lightning round with you, okay? Yes. Super lightning round. Um, I want to know, uh, what would have you done differently, having done it? Like, just off the top of your head, what would you do differently next time? I would have, well, I addressed this earlier, I would have, ideally, someone with me mm. that could help me mm. with just logistics, mm. you know, uh, yeah. earlier on, a, a creative producer person you know sort of right hand woman or man that would help me with that and and, and that, that wasn't like a mistake. it wasn't that I didn't want it it's just right. that's what I would hope next time yeah yeah okay and what are you most proud of I am proud of the fact that we got it made really I mean yeah. and that it and that it turned out the way it felt as we were shooting there was one thing that happened very early on the first few days is because of the location because of the snow we ended up there's a big argument scene that's late in the story where all the tensions building toward right mm. and we had to shoot that just a few days in mm. which was hard and what i said to lance is well we'd have to do it sooner or later it's it was never it's never going to be easy so let's just work on it and get ready and but we do have to leave it all on the field because if this scene doesn't make us uncomfortable it's probably not going to make audiences uncomfortable it has to be it has to be uncomfortable to watch and listen to in order to earn how the movie winds down mm -hmm. uh, and um and when that happened there was i mean there was already a good feeling with the crew we had you know we had connected and we started on the right foot and, and it started going well when we did that scene they were very moved i mean we finished and we were exhausted and then I saw, and the people were crying, you know, it was like very early on. And that was a kind of a turning point. And the crew was so with us all the way mm -hmm. that the rest of the shoot that, and they would share stories about their families, you know, personal connections to what we were doing. It wasn't just a job for anybody, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. That yeah. made a huge difference for the actors, I think. They felt supported, you know, especially the kids. It was like, wow, this is something, we're all in it together. And, um, and for me as a director, obviously having a crew be into the story that we're telling, very helpful. And I kept thinking, I better not mess this up in the editing room because I want people to relate to it personally mm -hmm. um, when we do it. And so I guess I'm most proud of the fact that the reactions from 
Q and A's and things that I've done in different countries, different cultures too, mm-hmm. has been that sort of universal connection that people have with it on a personal level, sometimes very personal, specific family things. Other times it's more of a society thing or, or the effort to deal with the thorny issues of communication. Mm. Uh, I like to say that it's another pandemic we have now. It's the other pandemic, bad communication or lack of communication. Mm. How do you deal with it? Are there people you can't talk to? Are there people don't deserve to be talked to? Whatever you think, I'm going to present a situation where it's very difficult and people have connected to that. And that's, I guess, what I feel most proud of. You're a, a highly accomplished actor who's worked for many years in extraordinary films. You're also a photographer and uh, you know, a writer and you write poetry and, and fiction and um, uh, a painter and all these things that come into the directorial process can be part of it. Um, la- I just want to end on what surprised you because you, you're very um, observant, you know, I noticed this when I was working with you, you are aware of what everyone is doing and you're also able to focus on your job. And so I'm curious, was there anything that surprised you um, about directing? Was there any one thing that you, that, that you just, you hadn't thought that was part of the job or you, it hadn't occurred to you? Was there anything that you thought, wow, that, that, cause there was for me. And I'm just curious if there was for you. Not the job of directing, cause I knew it would be hard. And I knew that I was going to, regardless of what other directors do, I was not going to be absent a single second of any part of the preparation, the shooting, the sound mixing, the editing. And, you know, and I made it clear to everybody that it was going to be that way. Um, And if somebody had said, no, that's not okay," then I would say, "Okay, well, then we shouldn't do it because I am going to be a pan. And um, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. I knew it would be very hard. I have to say that it was more of an inspiration, especially the collective aspect of, of, of making the movie. Mm. Uh, more, it was even, it was better than I hoped it might be. Mm. I guess the surprise is, is the thing I was talking about earlier is the connection, you can't count on that. That full connection, uh, very sincere, almost very vulnerable in some cases, connection from the crew with what we were doing on a daily basis, you know? Uh, well, they were your first audience. audience. They, were, they were your first audience and they were responding to the depth and the yeah. authenticity of what was happening in front of them. Yeah. yeah, and it was, I mean, I know that that's not necessarily going to happen every time out that, to that degree. It was, I felt really fortunate that on my first effort as a director that I had a crew that was so behind the story. Well, it's only going to get worse from now on. I'm sure. Um, um, uh, well, I, that's a good place to, to end. I could talk to you forever and I genuinely look forward and I hope this is a, the beginning of a long um, secondary career uh, because you're an extraordinary actor and I would be a, it would be really sad if you stopped acting. But um, I look forward to your no, next I don't intend to. Thank you. No, I don't intend to stop acting, but I have to say I really did enjoy it and I do want to do it immediately i mean i think every actor should direct and every director should act i mean you really need to know you really need to know the process of the what i especially think it is good for directors to act i think people do have a misconception and they think well if you're an actor you're necessarily going to be a good director or at least a good director of actors and that is not necessarily true i've seen i've seen it I've seen actors direct well, and I've seen actors direct really badly and not really know how to communicate. I think it has to do with what kind of actor you are. If you're an actor that's curious, Mm -hmm. an actor that prepares well in order to then be open to what the other actors are bringing and the director's Mm -hmm. wanting, and you're open to that, that means you're interested in how other people work. Uh, Then you probably have a chance to at least know how to communicate with actors Mm -hmm. and with crews because you've paid attention to how other parts of the job. But if you're an actor that just stays in his trailer or um, just focuses on his or her lines and I'm gonna cry on this line and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna then yell and I'm gonna do a little jig. If that's your kind of thing and it doesn't matter what the other actors do, you're gonna do the same thing every take. You might be great at it. You might be an award-winning actor and you might be very polite Mm -hmm. on a set, but you're probably not gonna be it's not going to be, uh, you're not going to be at an advantage in terms of communicating with actors, especially when they need help, when it's not working. That's right. 
because everything's great when it's working. Acting is the easiest, most fun job in the world. And I guess directing is too, when it's going well. When it's not going well, it's that's where, where you really, where the rubber hits the road. It's like, how are you going to solve this problem? That's what movie making is. It's solving a series of problems. And that's right. That's and, right. And, 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 you know, and in, so in real so, time as, as the floor is collapsing. Right. And if you're an actor who doesn't really, you've never shown much interest in what the others are doing, how are you going to talk to them? You're going to have to start from scratch to some degree. So it depends. Well, I, I um, truly look forward to whatever you do next, whether it be falling uh, to falling again, maybe um, no. <laughs> the return of falling. No, I know um, that was a stupid joke and it's not, even no, no, no. I, I look forward to what you do next genuinely. Um, and I hope one of those other projects that, that one of which I read and, and, Anything yeah. else that you're kicking around? Um, I, 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 I did really... write another one since, but it's in Danish, so that would be hard. Um, but... Well, not in Denmark, it may not be. Um, no, I mean, for you to read it. Oh, so yes, I... that's true. That, this is true. Well, Google Translate, done. Um, I'd be like, the dialogue is really strange. It seems like it was run through a translator. Um, all right. Well, well, I, I wish you luck on your next one. I know you're gearing you. up for something too. So thank I you. Hope that and uh, please, everyone, uh, anyone who's listened to this, who has any interest whatsoever, it's a beautiful, really beautiful film, a really heartbreaking and complex. And um, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was very moved by it. Uh, I think it's beautiful filmmaking, beautiful acting, writing. It's just a great, it's a great film. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. And thanks yeah. for taking the time to do this. My, it's my great pleasure. Take care, and I look All forward right. to seeing you in person. As soon yes, as possible. yes, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. Everybody out there, invisible. Uh, take care of yourselves, and uh, take care of those around you. Be safe. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. If you'd like to hear more, the director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Anthony and Joe Russo, Julia Hart and Angel Manuel Soto. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 